Now that, of course, is a classic scene from really an all-timer, uh, The Goonies, um, and it really fits well with our topic this morning. And before I give you that, though, a little reminder, uh, this morning we're continuing in our series, uh, The One and Others, taking some time to look at those statements in the Bible that God gives us on how we are to treat one another, what we are to do to one another. Last week we talked about honor, that we had an opportunity to be a group of people who cultivate a culture of honoring, where we honor one another. This week we're going to look at another one of those commands and ask ourselves, what would it look like to be a church like this? Now, one thing we want to remember, when we read these commands, it's not about rule following. It's not about checking spiritual boxes off our to-do list to make sure we've done all the right things. It's about becoming a people and a place. And this morning, we want to look at what it means to confess our sins to one another. Now, what does that clip have to do about confessing? What does it show us? Well, I think uh, most people think confession is like that, right? Like God is some uh, malevolent person wearing a beret, threatening us with like a blender full of fire, uh, and you know, torturing us until we tell him where the rest of the sinners are so that he can go over there and torture them as well. Now, confession can be scary. Yes, confession can be challenging. But I think there's something on the other end of confessing to one another that God has for us. And in that clip, we get a small little picture of it. Now, did you catch it? I wonder if you caught it. Chunk is spilling his guts. You know, he's, he's saying everything he's ever done in his life. And you can look here. One of the villains, Jake, about halfway through the confessing, does what? Puts his arm around him. He starts to smile. And he says, I'm beginning to like this kid. There's something about confessing to one another, in front of one another. There's something about it that connects us, that endears us to one another. But let's not let uh, the Goonies have the ultimate say in what it means to confess. Uh, let's turn to the Bible. Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. As you turn there, I'm going to say a quick prayer for us. Lord, be with us this morning as we look at what it means to confess. Lord, um, even saying those words, Lord, I know some of us were, were building up walls even as I speak. We want to uh, not let Jesus in. Would you help us tear those down that we would be open to you and your word? In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed that you might be healed. Let's talk about confessing, what it means to confess our sins to one another. Now, to do that, we'll do three things. One, I want to really look at the passage. Let's really dive into it. Let's swim around in it. Let's see what God's Word has to say. And then I want to share something that was taught to me, given to me about 10 years ago that really kind of helped me as I thought about reflection and community and confession and sin. And then finally, I want to end with Jesus. Let's let Jesus have the last word on confession this morning. Now, as we begin, it's important to note is that confession has a purpose. Confession has a purpose. That's what this passage tells us. Confessing our sins 
Just like last week, right? It's not the command to confess to one another is not something God gives us just to see if we're going to obey it. He's not up there going, oh, what's a random thing I can make them do to see if they'll listen? Uh, confess to one another, right? Did you ever hear this as a kid? Uh, do this because I said to do it. Now, I say that to my kids. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But that only goes so far. Right? Like that's not parenting. Having your kids just do what you say to do because you say it, that's not preparing them for the future. That's not giving them wisdom. That's not keeping them safe. Well, so yes, we confess our sins partially because God says to do it. Doing it just out of that will only take us so far. To really unlock it, we want to ask God. We want to get a play. Okay, God, why? We don't ask that as children who talk back. We want to know, God, what's at the heart of this for us? That, that there's a goal, there's an intent that confessing leads to. And the purpose is this. Confessing our sins to one another brings our sins into the light. It brings our sins into the light. And in that place, there is healing and forgiveness from God and from other people. And I think if we can understand that that's what the purpose is, I think we will be encouraged to confess our sins. If we can get into our tiny little brains that if I confess on the other end of confessing is healing, on the other end of confessing is forgiveness, I will want to do it. Now, how can I say that? Well, let's look at the passage. Therefore, confess. James is giving us a reason, right? Therefore, now, Pastor Joke, what's the therefore? Therefore, you're like obligated to say it whenever you preach on it. What is it there for? Well, look at verse 15. Look what he says. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. That's a powerful verse. You take that verse, you take that issue of forgiveness, and then you take our passage in verse 15. At the end of it, it says they will be healed. Those are two big words. Healing and forgiveness. Those are huge words. Those are beautiful promises that are standing on the other end of confession. James isn't a bad pastor. He's not a busy father who doesn't have time to explain it. He's saying it. Man, confess to one another because you'll be forgiven and you'll be healed. Confessing our sins is the pathway to forgiveness and healing. So if, if that's the pathway, then I think it would help us to understand, okay, well, what does that word mean? What's, what is confess? What, what do, what's it require? The word confess is interesting. And I believe understanding it will really unlock the keys in our life to understanding how we can be healed and forgiven. If you look at the Greek word, the Greek word for confess means this, same speak. Same speak. Basically, it means to say the same thing about something. Confess means to speak the same about our sin the way God does. 
to come into agreement on an issue. To confess to each other looks something like this. I offend someone, I sin, I do something wrong. I come to them and I say, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? Listen, um, God, I know God's called me to be an image bearer. That's what it means to be a Christian. God's called me to be an image bearer of him. And, you know, getting short with that person that cut me off or um, getting overly angry at my kids for simply being kids, you know, not telling the whole truth, that's not image bearing. That's not, ref that action, that's not reflecting God's goodness into the creation. I chose to reflect death back into creation by sinning. That's what confession is. Like saying it explicitly, calling it what it is, taking ownership. That's important because oftentimes what we want to do, what I want to do is soft sell my sin, right? Well, you know, I, uh, I'm trying to be a good person and I didn't hurt anybody, right? That's kind of the borderlines we have for sin, right? I didn't hurt anybody. I'm trying to be good. You know, yeah, there's that person at work and sometimes I maybe talk, yeah, like we just try to soft sell it. We won't come straight to the point and really name it. We won't say the same thing that God says about it. And that matters. And here's why. Because when we speak the same about sin the way God does, when we confess it, it does something. It, it brings us into reality. That's really important because reality is the place that God inhabits. God dwells in reality. The problem is, the challenge is, we live in a world that's, it's so easy to live in a false reality. It's easy to live there. Places like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, what are those? They're non-realities. It's a curated world. It's a fantasy world, really, that makes you believe things about other people's lives that just aren't true. Or things about the world that just aren't true. You look at whoever's the most popular on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or whatever, you think, gosh, she must be so great. They must be so happy. They must have it all together. Look at their Insta reel or whatever. Like, it just looks incredible. The reality is we know these people are, they're not. We think we have a lot of, we got a lot of followers. A lot of people comment on our posts. That means people like us. It doesn't. Now, maybe perhaps you're free from the social media trap. That's awesome. But it's also easy to lie to ourselves, right? Think of like cultural issues in our world right now. Like a lot of it is the battle. Okay, what's true? What's the reality? Is America really this bad or is America really this great? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is history, we're arguing of what's the true? What's the reality we also lie to ourselves and create a false world. I lied to myself for a long time. Uh, it's called being a bachelor, right? I thought I was a genuinely decent, loving, caring person, right? I'm semi-organized. I'm moderately fiscally responsible, right? It's easy to believe that when you live by yourself and you, and you don't interact with another person, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm nice. I'm great. I'm considerate. And then you get married. 
and my fantasy world collided with reality. And in some ways, it's still colliding with reality. In some ways, it's funny, right? Like, oh, you know, I didn't put the towel in the dirty clothes. Like, in some ways, it's funny. In some ways, it's not funny. In some ways, it's hard when you believe you're this way and you come into a relationship and you start to realize, oh, no, maybe I'm not. But the beautiful part about that reality happening is that when you speak the same, when you have that conversation, when you confess where you're wrong, where you confess where maybe you're not living up to who you thought you were, something beautiful happens. You snap into reality. And if you're in a healthy marriage that's operating the way it's supposed to be, you're forgiven and you're made whole and you're loved and you go on this beautiful exploration of figuring out how to become the person God's called us to be. That's the good news. That's what happens when we confess. Things are brought into reality where God is. God will not heal a false version of you. You can't have a real relationship with an image of someone else. We can't have real relationships at this church if we just walk around uh, portraying like a, a curated version of ourselves that we want people to think of us that's different than the reality of us. We, you can't, can't have a marriage. You can't have real relationships that way. But when we confess, when the real us comes out and it's seen and we own it and we say it and we confess it, we begin to take steps towards becoming the people God's called us to be. We experience the forgiveness and healing that we so desperately desire. First John says it a different way. Listen to this. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is painting a picture of two churches. He's painting a, a picture, right? Two different places. Could you even, can you for a moment imagine being a part of a church, being a part of a people, being a part of a marriage, being part of a community that's full of light, that's full of God? where people finding forgiveness, where people are being cleansed and made clean. He who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us. Where the sins that keep easily tripping us up, big ones, small ones, and everyone in between, where we're finally set free from those things. Where we have genuine relationship, where we have fellowship, participation in one another. Can you imagine what that community would be like? Or there's another kind of church, one in which people hide their true selves from one another and from God. A church where it's easy for people to walk around in self-deception. A church that doesn't have genuine fellowship. A church where people are not healed, where they're not cleansed. How do we get to the church of light? How do we avoid the relationships of darkness? The beautiful thing is that <laughs> sin is happening in both places. 
The difference isn't, well, one, people are perfect and they never sin. They do the right thing. And the other one, they do all the bad stuff. That's not the difference. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The difference isn't perfection, it's confession. If we confess. Walking in the light doesn't mean you live a sinless life. Walking in the light is for sinners. It's for messy people like you. It's for messy people like me. All the difference maker is the confessing. Are we walking in reality? Are we bringing the stuff into the light? When we start confessing, when we start being honest with other people, we start being honest with God about who we are. It brings this stuff into the light and our church will open up in exciting and incredible ways. God's done so many incredible and faithful things at Rooftop. And the more we walk in these kind of things, the more we'll grow in our love and our relationships with one another. If we become real, if we start bringing those things into the light, it will be like our clip from this morning with Jake and Chunk putting his hand around them. We'll begin to uh, find out how much we have in common with each other, both in our sins, but also in our great Savior, Jesus, and sympathy and love and forgiveness. We'll start flowing back and forth in a beautiful, like, symphony of life. But to do that, all we got to do is take that step of confessing. To create a culture where people feel safe to confess the broken parts about their life. So here's the reality. You have sins. You are, okay, you're not fooling anyone. I'm not fooling anyone. It's the reality of life in a fallen and broken world. I want to share with you a picture. Um, this was given to me probably about 10 years ago. It really kind of helped me think through things. This is nothing I thought of. It's nothing even uh, specifically unique. Um, all truth is God's truth. There's a lot of truth here. Now, if you look at this, this kind of represents your life and your relationships and your sin. Let's take a look at that first window in the upper left quadrant, confessed sin. These are the sins that you and I walk around with that we are aware of and others are aware of. This is the stuff you talk about in your community group. The stuff you talk about with your ministry team or with relationships you have with people that you trust. This is stuff you're just, you're confessing it. You're working on it. You're owning it, right? You're not soft selling it. <laughs> this is the walking in the light stuff. We think about people like Peter. We think about people like Zacchaeus in the Bible, right? Peter comes to Jesus. When he first sees him, he's like, man, Jesus, get away from me. Like, I'm a sinner. Like, I, I'm, I'm broken. Think about the man Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to his house to have dinner and something happens in that dinner, in that relationship, in that meal where Zacchaeus confesses his sins. Man, I've, I've stolen from people. I've taken from people. I want to pay it back. I want to do what's right. 
this is, this is where we grow. This is where we stop hiding. We start pretending. A good test for you if you're living out of this quadrant <laughs> is this. When's the last time you confessed a specific sin to God and to others? The second quadrant over here, blind sin. These are things that are known to others, but they're not known to you. Sin is deceptive. That's, I think, probably the biggest characteristic of sin is that it's deceptive. And if it's deceptive, who's the first person in your life that's going to deceive? You. This is why you have to have brothers and sisters helping you in this area. Think about the rich young ruler, some man who came to Jesus and said, hey, I've kept all the commandments since birth. I've done it all. I've been perfect. And Jesus looked into his life and he saw that area that the rich young ruler couldn't see. And he said, hey, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor. This is that sin that you commit over and over. You just do it and you just, you can't stop. It just, it, you can't see it. I experienced this a lot, like I said, in my marriage, right? I mean, I'm a pastor, right? I'm like, a, I'm aware with people. I'm present with people. You know, I, I want to sit and hear their story. And, but to be honest, sometimes I get home and I'm like, I just want to be left alone. Leave me alone. Like, I stop. I want to play on my phone. I, wanna, like, I don't want to interact, right? But I, I don't see what that does. I'm blinded to it. I think, well, I earned this. I've been listening to people all day, right? Well, my wife lovingly shows me, hey, maybe you can't see it, but here's what's going on. Now, I buck against that. I fight against that, right? But the more love, the more forgiveness, the more uh, she's bringing it into the light, eventually I come and say, gosh, you know what? You're right. I see it. This is why I think it's important for... Um, for marriages, couples, uh, to be in some sort of community with other people. It's okay to go to like a men's only group. It's okay to go, of course, should do that. That's good and great. But I know I've, you know, you can lie your way through a men's group. <laughs> oh, marriage is great. Yeah, we're great. You can lie your way in the women's group. Oh, yeah, we're fine. It's good. But when you, when people are over in your home once or twice a month, they start to see when you get angry they start to see when you get agitated. They start to see. You, just, you can't see it. Someone's got to say, hey. I think of, uh, there was a, a gentleman at a church I pastored and uh, struggling with alcohol to like just, you know, wrecking his life, destroying him. I mean, just marriage after marriage, broken family, broken family. I mean, just like really bad, really bad. And he just couldn't see it. Now, maybe he lied to himself. I, I'm not sophisticated enough to know the brain psychology, and I've talked with people, and, but he just, he, he couldn't see it. I don't have a problem. I, he couldn't see it. Maybe a good question for this quadrant, maybe you want to reflect on this, is, hey, first of all, are there three people close to you that you could go and say, hey, what are, could you name maybe one or two things that you just see me do over and over that just keep tripping me up. 
Now, if we drop down one more, uh, something called hidden sin. This is stuff that's only known to God. Psalm 19, 12 says this, but who can detect their error? Clear me from hidden faults. It's like a small part of our life, right? This is just broken areas that, that we can't see them and maybe we haven't been in community enough for them to come to light, but God sees and God knows. But the big one here, uh, this one, the secret sin, the stuff that you know, but others don't. And th- this is the scary place. Secret sins are the thing that, as I say secret sin, pops into your head. Think about Judas, right? He makes a deal in secret to betray Jesus, and it ends up destroying him. Our friends in AA have a saying. They say this, we're only as sick as our secrets. Like I said, I'm a big all truth is God's truth, and I think that's true. When we hide our sins, when we keep them secret, they destroy us. We get trapped in this cycle of shame and pain, and it destroys us. Psalm 32 says this, While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. There are numerous studies. I don't have have time to reference all of them. There's numerous studies in the medical field, in the psychological field, about keeping secrets and all the negative effects it has on the body on our emotions, on our relationships. It takes those windows, right? The more we live here, it it just starts to take over, right? We get really bad at confessing because, well, you know, if I confess a little bit, then maybe they'll find out all this other stuff that I'm doing. It eats us up. This is the walking in darkness stuff that first John was talking about. This is what brings about fake relationships. This is what brings about hypocrisy. This is what brings about a culture where people aren't open to share. Secret sins keep us trapped. And then it eventually bleeds over to other areas, right? We think about, uh, it's a low-hanging fruit, so I apologize, but we think about things like pornography, right? That's a secret sin we wrestle with. But what it does is it blinds us to other sins in our life. It creates, things start happening in our lives that, well, you know, it's, I'm, I know looking at pornography is wrong, but it just, it begins to affect us where we start to maybe disassociate, break away from relationships. And we can't see that why we're doing that is because of this thing. But Psalm 32 that we read also has a beautiful part. Yours might say blessed. Mine says happy. Happy are those whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those in whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's walking in light. 
that's when your window starts to shift, right? The more we can live out of here, the more it starts like pushing and like minimizing all these other parts of our lives. And you know what's strange about God and his economy? Is the more that we confess, the more we conquer. You think, and I think, and the big lie is, okay, I got this sin. I don't want people to know. I'm just going to beat it myself. I'm going to conquer it myself. But the Bible tells us, oh, no, the way to conquer it is to confess it and keep confessing it and keep dragging it into the light over and over and over. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a challenge. It's hard. Maybe, it, when I, but what's keeping you from confessing? What's keeping you from walking in the light? Maybe that thing that right now is going through your brain, you think, okay, if I confess this, I'm going to lose everything. I'll lose my marriage. I'll lose my job. I'll lose, like, I will lose everything if I confess this. Then what you need to do is call a pastor. Call someone who's sat on some pretty hard confessions who's walked with relationships where really profound brokenness has happened and seen God work and move, but maybe you need help. You need a, a guide who can say, hey, yeah, brother, that's hard. Sister, that's hard. Let's talk about what healing might look like. But find someone to do it. If it's big deal like that, right? Like you're like, no, you don't get it. Like this is like bad news. Um, then yeah, find a mature believer who has experience. I I know I don't have it all figured out. There may be, I, I think there's a lot of things I can pray with and help you, but it might say, okay, let's get some counseling. Let's let's bring in some experts. Let's let let's be a team approach. Let's do this. But the more we live out of this the more real God will feel, the more real our relationships will feel. One last thought, though. Let's let Jesus have the last word on confession. Sometimes people don't confess because there's a culture where confession is not welcomed. Now, it's a complicated issue. But so... I, but ask yourself, do people, do my kids, does my wife do, and it's not all on you, but I think it's worth asking, do people come to me and confess? Because the reality is everyone's got sin, everyone's got struggles, everybody's got the problems. Why aren't people coming to my community group? Why aren't people coming to my ministry team? Why aren't in my relationships with people, I'm asking them spiritual, but why do people feel like they have to hide? Is there something challenging about me? Is there something challenging about our church? Well, let's think about Jesus. How does Jesus respond to sin? Because a lot of times, it's just human nature. We're scared to tell the truth. We think about this. Man, remember when I was a little kid and I goofed up and my mom or dad screamed and yelled at me and berated me and embarrassed me? I, 
we carry those wounds with us. And then we think, okay, Jeremy, you want me to like tell somebody that I'm like a sinner and like, I, I've been there, that's pain, that's hurt, I don't want to do it. We got to push through that. Let's look at what Jesus, there's a story in Jesus's life. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 men that he walked with, that he loved, that he spent time with, that he taught, that he fed, did amazing things with these 12 men. These men were his dearest friends, so much so that on the night he was betrayed, he wanted to eat a meal with them. He didn't go spend it with his family. He didn't go spend it with his brothers, his mother. He wanted to spend it with these gentlemen. But immediately after that meal, one of them betrayed him, turned him over to the authorities. Another one, a guy named Peter, denied that he even knew him, was there as the trial was going on and cussed out a girl because she said that, she, that he was with Jesus. He looked at Jesus in the face. He said, no. They all, after Jesus died, they all went and they did what we do. They went and hid. John 20 says this. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear from the Jews. They were scared, right? They were, uh, maybe another way to think about it, they were waiting on dad to come home, right? <laughs> We've been there, scared. What's dad going to do when he gets home? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace sounds a lot like a place of forgiveness and healing. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, here's 12 men <laughs> who literally stabbed Jesus in the back, literally and metaphorically. And Jesus is saying, as I am standing here among you, practicing peace and welcoming you in, go and forgive other people. We have to be a people who, when people come to us and confess, we can say, praise, thank you. Peace. I know it's scary right now. I know it's hard. I know there's some things that are going to happen and it's going to be challenging and it's going to be difficult, but man, peace to you. I love you. Welcome to the club, right? My sin might look different, but peace. Peace. 